You're listening to Craig Walker's Future Off podcast, where we bring together conversations with thought leaders from across the world to unpack what's next in the design of products, services, and experiences. I'm Jeremy Walker, director and co-founder of Craig Walker, a design and research agency with a mission to design the greatest positive impact for the greatest number of people. For this series, Peter Farrago, a lead designer at Craig Walker, explores the future of care with leaders from around the world. In this episode, she has a conversation with Sandy Pullen, the Manager of Innovation, Design and Communications at IPC Health, one of the largest providers of community health services in Melbourne's rapidly growing Middle and Outer West. Sandy has been guiding and leading a team in using human-centered design to create essential services across the entire clinical, mental health and social spectrum. Prior to IPC, Sandy was at Australia Post in the social innovation team, where she helped rethink the role of the post office in connecting communities and addressing issues like social isolation and loneliness. It ignited a passion for working with people in communities, helping them thrive and feel connected. We hear her talk about the role of trust in healthcare and how it can sit in tension with innovation, how community health can and is helping people avoid hospitalization, and where digital fits in the future of care. I was wondering if you could give us a brief explanation of what community care is and how it fits into the ecosystem of care in Australia more generally. The best way to think about community health services is, and services like IPC Health is that they provide care to some of the most vulnerable members of, of our communities and they are really there to try and help keep people out of that crisis end or or needing to go to hospital when things sort of escalate or require that more hospital tertiary in-resident care. So really community health is often not-for-profit. It's affordable or it's free. It's low-cost care and it's intentionally focused Mm. in the community. So Our campuses at IPC Health are located, we have have six of them, and they're hopefully easy to get to, they're accessible, our clinicians or, or healthcare providers are able to provide services in the community, so we have outreach programs, we can go into people's homes so that people are receiving that care in a convenient way at a place that feels hopefully like home to them or it's their local area and I think that community health is where it's really valuable is that it leans into that space of prevention Mm. so it's trying to bring in things like health literacy education and joining the dots in a local community through partnership opportunities and looking at who else in that spectrum if you like of healthcare receives the supports that they need. Mm, that, that's really great to hear. The services that you're designing, the services and experiences are for the most vulnerable members of your community or of our communities, depending on where we are. What does that mean to the way that you design products, services and experiences in your role? When you're working with people who are disadvantaged or there's, there's a history of trauma, One of the things that's most important is to be creating those safe, inclusive, 
opportunities if we're going to be designing services with and ideally we do want the voice of the people who we are looking to provide services for to be included in that in that um, co-design or understanding of, of people's needs. We work with different people in the community For example, that might be reaching out to elders. It could be reaching out to people who are part of community organisations or church groups. Building and establishing trust is so critically important. And in order to appreciate people's different experiences and perspectives and their needs, another thing that's also important when designing is to move at the speed of trust and to ensure that we're building in time to help people feel comfortable so that they can share their stories if that's what they wish to do and to set up the supports and structures that allow us to move forward in a way that people feel heard, listened to, and also part of, in an ideal world, Mm. ongoing opportunities to continue to contribute, to make decisions, and to have a voice in what their care looks like. But it's really, really important to establish that upfront trust. And often the way that we do that is through the very strong partnerships and networks that we have with existing organisations who already have a seat at the table, so to speak. Moving at the speed of trust is such an interesting concept and I imagine quite difficult when working within the structures of a business. How do you build that time in for design? That's a great question, Peter. You have to be able to demonstrate the value of having all voices in the room And I think as an organisation, and probably more broadly, when we think about how care is offered at the state-based or Commonwealth level, it's broken. It's not working. So things can't always continue the way they have. And I think that there are examples, whether it's at IPC Health or, or elsewhere, where there is a real quality and richness to elevating the voice of those who haven't been heard and to move in different ways and to bring in different practices. So whether it's it's learning from Indigenous communities and cultures and being guided, holding the tools and the, the methodologies, the processes that we would traditionally use in a design context, but thinking about how they might need to flex and be a bit more shaped, if you like, by different methods for engagement and discovery and learning and design. And I think when we can illustrate the value in doing that in a really collaborative, in an honest, in a truthful way, in a really meaningful way, you can build in that time and you start to see the benefits. And if you're seeing the benefits in people attending and coming to to receive that care or we're going to receive that care and the more that we can measure and demonstrate that impact the more we're able to convince those who might be in different roles as decision makers or funders that that time is a really important factor is just as important as the outcome or or the end goal that we're all aiming for. Mm. 
So being able to kind of display that value is key to being able to build that quality time to develop trust. Yes, yes, yes. And I think that if we look at COVID and what worked and what didn't work at the very beginning of the pandemic and vaccinations and to just sort of put a message out and expect that everybody's going to go and get vaccinated, you know, it took a long time to build that trust with different communities and organisations like IPC Health played a critical role in being on the ground and clinicians or members of our outreach teams going around and talking with people to explain what vaccinations were about. And and through that, you started to see an increase in people, yeah, getting vaccinated and that was really important work. Mm. So you've kind of touched on a few really interesting projects. I'm, I'm interested to know... In your mind, what is working and what are you seeing in your role that's making you quite excited at the moment? I think one of the things that I'm definitely seeing is multidisciplinary teams forming around identified client or or community needs and where traditionally the provision of service might have been sort of more you have allied health over here and then you've got counselling in a different part of sort of the organisation and not necessarily those coming together with, say, somebody who might be wearing a service navigation hat or somebody who is in that more wellbeing coordination space who can wrap around the client and support them through the care that they need and through multidisciplinary teams different practitioners can come together often with the client as well or a carer to really see the person as a whole and to understand all of their different needs and to then work out a plan that can move that person or that family forward in a much more holistic way and I think that that's sort of a trend that is is happening right across health and is is a really exciting space. So, and it addresses that issue of people having to tell their story again and again. If you've got the multidisciplinary team wrapping around a, a person, then the then all family, then they're going to hopefully receive a more integrated care approach. The idea of a multidisciplinary team and that kind of wraparound approach seems like such a no-brainer, but I understand the complexity of navigating working within the health system and actually bringing that all together is, is really no small task, I imagine. Can you give us an example of one of the projects that you've been working on that kind of bring to life this this idea of the multidisciplinary team and the outcomes that that achieves? Yeah, sure. So one of the projects that we've been piloting over the last 12 months or so is an autism assessment clinic. So there's quite a gap in Melbourne's IPC Health catchment area is is the middle to outer west sort of corridor. It's a, it's a huge growth corridor and there's a lot of diversity in the population that we cover or serve there. So the clinic is made up of a paediatrician, there's a speech pathologist, there's OTs, um, there's counsellors 
And at the centre of this is what we call a wellbeing coordinator. And that wellbeing coordinator is the person who steps the family through the assessment process, if you like, from the moment of initial introduction, and that might come from a a referral. And as that person or the family comes in, the wellbeing coordinator is the, the face, the person who is there to hold their hand, to wrap around them at every step. So through that that process, they'll be, you know, making sure that the family is understanding expectations to know what's going to happen at each step of that process or, you know, assessment. And then the wellbeing coordinator is also there to make sure that all of the different healthcare providers are also able to collaborate to make sure that they're giving the family the best support and care through that assessment. That's one example of where we've had a number of families come through and it's a much more integrated approach and brings in that multidisciplinary team care and with the wellbeing coordinator at the centre of that to support the families, the children, through what is a very difficult and challenging time for all involved. Just out of interest, does the wellbeing coordinator come from a clinical training background? Yes, yes. So typically, yes, they would. Yes. What opportunities for improvement have you seen that you think need to be addressed? That's a really good question. I mean, I think what is certainly happening is that there is an unprecedented rise in people getting sicker and needing more complex healthcare. And you see an increase in hospital admissions that could have been avoided. And a lot of people who are ending up at emergency departments with sort of what is more chronic health needs that could be addressed and can be addressed by community health sooner and In doing so, we start to slow down, hopefully, that trend of people ending up in emergency departments. So I definitely think that opportunities for improvement are a greater investment in prevention and helping people out before health problems do become a crisis. So I think there needs to be a real investment in things like health promotion, health literacy, and greater, you know, focus on place-based in-home care. I do think that there is a real need to address the workforce skills shortage and how do we look at incentivising people to come to community health and to stay in community health or be retained and to be incentivised and rewarded for the exceptional work that they do. I also think that there are huge opportunities in the digital space and community health probably hasn't had as as big a focus in that space. But again, I think that there are opportunities for greater integration between client management systems and things like that. And what we, you know, that sharing of data and exchange, both within an organisation where you have the, the single view of a client's needs, but also where there might be the need to share that data with with different other healthcare organisations and partners. So, yeah, I think there's they're probably how do we keep people through prevention out of acute or emergency care workforce 
upskilling and driving that, attracting people to community health and then technology improvements. It's almost like an, the idea of opportunities for earlier intervention to stop the chronic issues occurring potentially later down the track. Is there any connection in your mind between that point and those opportunities within the digital space? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think another area that we've been exploring is how do we help people who may not want to engage with health organisations because of particular stigmas or, or fear of accessing or to, even talking about things like, like mental health. So I think that there are certainly pathways into care that can be offered through digital technology, so whether that's smartphone apps and using that type of technology to break down barriers fear, stigma, that might initiate very supportive, confidential conversations about somebody's perhaps mental health that opens the door or helps to, again, establish that initial trust and confidence in what somebody's going to receive from a healthcare provider. And if people have had bad experiences in the past, technology might be a gentler way to start that re-engagement and establishment of understanding and access to a safe and supportive environment and, and conversations with trained yeah, healthcare providers, clinicians. Mm. I think this is such an interesting space because I think, like you said, there's some, there really is something in there around the way that people interact with digital, with their phone, for example, compared to how they talk to someone. It's, it's so fascinating thinking about that balance and where digital is able to help you scale your service when it's appropriate versus and where it's maybe the better solution, not that it's just appropriate, but it could actually be the better solution versus it's that, it's that dance, you know, between the in-person and, and the digital that I think is so interesting in, in care and the future of care. Couldn't agree more with you, Peter. And I think this is also why that deep work, co-design work in and with the community to really understand what different delivery modes of care best suit somebody and that's going to change over time as well and I think that it's important to think about care on that you know it is a life a lifelong need of, of all of us and we're, we're going to dance in and out of feeling good and then and then not feeling good and throughout our different life stages again I think this is where community health can be that wraparound and offer the expertise that has seen somebody from a young age right through to as they get older and moves into the later years to have that knowledge and to be supported in that way is I think really really comforting and again where community health can continue to play a huge role and be evolving and adapting to meet the needs of people and and the changing landscape of how people want to access and receive care and certainly that will be through increasingly so through digital technologies. Mm. 
Sandy, what are some of the big long-term trends you're seeing in the care sector and, and what do you believe to be driving change? Without a doubt, hybrid models of care, as we've been talking, is is going to continue to be a huge driver of change. I think how data is kept safe and shared more broadly across the full Australian healthcare landscape will enable not only communities or people to receive better care, but certainly providers and within the system to continue to adapt and evolve to design in a way that best meets people's needs. I think that there will be an increase in home care support just from an infrastructure perspective. IPC Health doesn't work with remote or rural communities, but where through virtual care are those in-home opportunities and how we've seen over the last three years with COVID and well the pandemic, the increasing rise of virtual care. And that might be care that is delivered through peer networks. It might be care that's delivered through multidisciplinary teams, but it's where are those opportunities to provide in-home care so people are not having to travel, they're not coming to already exceptionally busy hospitals where it's difficult, long wait lists or times to get into residential care and so on. So I think that there will be an increasing shift to in-home and I think that funding models are going to have to continue to evolve and change and I think Rightly so, yes, there is a big focus on the acute tertiary hospital end of healthcare. But what I would love to see is how do we continue to ensure that funds in that primary healthcare space do go to community organisations who can focus around prevention, health literacy, trying to keep people healthy before it gets to that crisis stage where things get a lot more expensive and a lot more complicated and just a a lot more challenging for for everybody involved. Are there any kind of other macro or micro trends that you think we should be looking at to unpack the future of care? Probably that convenience and accessibility and it comes back to people wanting to receive care in convenient locations and thinking about alternative methods and what does that look like when we consider different players who might be coming into the healthcare sector. So what role might retailers play, which we are already seeing retail organisations and different technology companies, be that your Apples, your Googles, Amazon, supermarkets, providing greater access to different healthcare services. I also think education, who are thinking about who are the non-traditional banks as well, potential partners to deliver a better service to different communities across Australia. It's almost like the next build on that idea of the multidisciplinary team when you start to unpack 
that idea of non-traditional partners playing a role and, and what does that look like? It's, it's a pretty mm. exciting space. Yeah, yeah. We're probably not there in the community health sector at the moment, but I do think it's a really interesting space to consider. Mm. Especially coming from Australia Post, I, I imagine you may have schemes and ideas around <laughs> involving the even just Australia yeah. Post in how you deliver care and yeah well that's right you know where Australia Post has got eyes and ears across the, the nation and is able to drive down remote country roads that other people can't so what does that look like in terms of providing accessible care to people who might be living in remote regional areas and that's the the reimaginings of the healthcare landscape and thinking about how do you repurpose infrastructure or physical or you know it might be digital for a health need as opposed to in the case of mm-hmm. Australia Post delivery services yeah fascinating so based on your experience what are you starting to see as the future of care I think the future of care is around hybrid models. So it is definitely a combination of digital and in-person. So digital might be virtual care where multidisciplinary teams are coming together to support people living in regional or remote areas. But care is synonymous with connection and empathy and compassion. And I think there will always be a need for in-person care as well. So how can we design health services that are transparent and designed in and with the community or consumers that offer up different ways that people can access care through digital or person? So for me, hybrid models of care, we're going to continue to, to certainly see that trend develop. So I guess thinking about that kind of that hybrid model, From your perspective, what products, services or experiences need to be designed to respond to this future of a hybrid model? I think it can be breaking down barriers, stigma where there might be uncertainty or fear to reach out for help. For example, people who might be experiencing levels of anxiety or depression, don't know how to talk about it. What might be those ways that technology, smartphones can break down those barriers and be an entry or an access, a pathway into perhaps talking then with somebody in person, which can then maybe provide a much deeper level of support to somebody who is needing it. So I think that digital is certainly a way in. And then I think it is can also be a way to support somebody through their journey of care you know it's it can be really difficult to get in to see a practitioner so what happens during those in-between sessions and digital is a way to keep the conversation going with people and it's something that is you know with with phones everybody's got it in their pocket so what are those supports or or reminders that can be delivered to people in a really safe way that help them to stay on track to build healthy habits especially if we're thinking about community health and and playing in that preventative end of healthcare 
and building people's knowledge Mm. and confidence and empowering them to manage their own health needs. So, Sandy, if we look at the not-so-distant future, say in 10 years, can you paint us a picture of your hopes for the care industry? My hopes for the care industry are that we have created greater connection across the full healthcare landscape or ecosystem and we really are thinking about a person's journey through life, establishing, maintaining and supporting them from birth through to death and that community health really does have an injection of funds, infrastructure and profile that allow that continuation of place-based care to be given to people in their communities where they feel safe, where they already have existing networks and support and where there is a greater focus on preventative care so that we don't continue to fund a sick care system. would be my hope that we're able to help people before they're in a situation of desperation or crises. And in doing so, hopefully through that that change in focus, we start to see a reduction in emergency admissions and a clogging up of the hospitals and sort of more tertiary end of the spectrum. (laughs) That's so inspiring. I feel... I feel really excited hearing you say that because that idea of that place-based care, I think it really goes across the whole care industry. Like I can't see an area where that is not going to be the priority and the earlier interventions as well. You know, it's been a real privilege and honour to work with the community and to work with a really passionate team of designers at IPC Health and the design team that I manage is made up of clinicians who have retrained, if you like, and turned their attention from delivering the care, from being on the front line to designing the services. And I think that that has been a really enriching voice in the design team because they're bringing different perspectives and they are bringing or elevating the voice of the client. They're not speaking on behalf of, but they are certainly speaking with the knowledge of face-to-face conversations and supporting people through change and helping people to address their health needs. So that I feel very lucky to be working with some pretty amazing people. That brings us to the end of this conversation. It's been a fascinating insight into how a leading community care organisation navigates creating better services and delivers care amid rapid digitisation. And no matter how fast you want to go, the community will always tell you the speed. We hope we left you with something to think about in the context of the products, services or experiences you're designing. A big thank you to our guest, Sandy Pullen, for joining Peter Farago in conversation with production and editing by Tom Hogan. The Future of Podcast was brought to you by Craig Walker, a global design and research agency that works with the world's leading organisations. 
Find out more about the work we do at craigwalker.com.au slash journal. Thank you.